Hi, Seth. How are you? I'm doing as well as I can be doing right now. How are you, Jonathan? I'm okay. I'm just appreciating all this daylight we're now saving. So I think it obviously makes such a huge difference in our lives. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, I have a very important question for you. What would you do in this particular situation? You're playing Mario Kart in a race for your life. Do you pick Koopa Troopa or Dry Bones, the skeleton Koopa Troopa, (laughs) as your driver? I kind of have a soft spot for Dry Bones. I don't know why. I think it's just like, it's a cool character. I agree. So I guess I'm I guess I'm just going to go dry bones. I think so too. I mean, this is a pretty simple question, I think, other than the apparent life-threatening Mario Kart race that we're in. But dry bones has the ability as a turtle skeleton to like dis- disembody himself and like throw his head and his bones around and then just automatically reconfigure, and that feels very valuable. Yeah, that's what he can do in Mario Tennis. That's right. We've had some good times playing Mario Tennis. Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, Seth, there's a pretty explicit, although not direct, at least linguistic connection with our passage today. So why don't you go ahead and read that passage for us? I would love to. This is Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 14 from the Common English Bible. The Lord's power came over me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry, and he asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you, and you will live again. I will put sinews in you, place flesh on you, and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you, and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying. Then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and they were covered over with skin. But there was still no breath in them. He said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, The Lord God proclaims, Come from the four winds. Breathe. Breathe into these dead bodies, and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. He said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. 
I will plant you on your fertile land, and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken, and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. Getting the connection already. Yeah, those dry bones. Hopefully in anthropomorphized turtle skeletons. (laughs) So, other than that, though, Seth, what stood out to you as you read that passage? I think, off the top of my head, I think we've done this passage on the podcast, but it's been a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm gl- right. But I'm glad it's come back. For some reason, what stuck out to me this time is this great noise that happens, like kind of as the bones are are fusing together again. I don't know. Like, I just, like, it adds something that seems so visceral to this passage. Like, it's not just the image of it. Like, there's also this, like, hearing element. I, I don't think I've, I've ever noticed before, if I'm honest. Hmm. So that was actually one of the things from the text that I wanted to point out to you. Because as we are approaching the passion, Christ's passion, as we're approaching Christ's crucifixion, his betrayal, all of that, And I wonder if this is actually why this is included in the Lenten lectionary texts. The word for that great quaking in the Septuagint is the same Greek word used in the Gospels for the quaking that happens when Christ is killed. You know, when the earth shakes and the temple is torn. I just think, oh, even just saying that out loud is, uh, is giving me some chills. And I can't claim this is original knowledge. This is Jacqueline Lapsley and her commentary with the New Interpreter's Bible series on Ezekiel. But that, that comparison is so powerful, right? There's this moment here where we see, even though the bones and the newly formed bodies still need breath blown into them, there's this moment of death into life where there is great movement of the earth that the earth is responding to and taking part of. And also this moment from life to death that we see in Christ, that mirroring. So that's just something to <laughs> to be aware of uh, that I think adds a layer of depth to this that is really powerful for me. Yeah, that's, that's such a neat connection. I think what you're getting at with the lectionary planning committee and like why they may have picked, picked this text is probably what you're talking about like they they saw that connection there too yeah and maybe it's just because like this is what our our kind of focus has been for our latin series but i never noticed at the end all the references to israel's fertile land like i think i was like oh okay like you know israel like as a like a geographical region but like it's even more specific than that like it's not just that God's going to bring them to Israel. Like these resurrected bones will go there, but there's something about the land too. That's important. It's interesting. Like I hadn't really taken that angle, but based on what you've shared so far, it's like the earth is a character in this story. It is the earth that trembles and quakes and maybe stirs the bones to be reconnected in partnership with God. And it is also the land of Israel that is, anxiously awaiting the return of its kin who have been promised to it, the people of Israel, to come back, being in exile as they are during the book of Ezekiel. So there are some other parallels here, Seth, that I want 
want us to dig into. So help me help me describe. There are three movements. There are three stages of where these bones are. Help me help me name them. So what's the when Ezekiel shows up? What's up with the bones? They're just laying in a field. Yes, I don't know. They're just all around them <laughs> in a valley. They're yeah, not even say, in a field. Famously a valley, but close enough. <laughs> I'm thinking like the elephant graveyard in Lion King. Just wait, that's what I was thinking yeah, of. Bones everywhere, not very well organized. <laughs> just the symbol of death and decay. Okay, what's the second stage? After all the rattling and the quaking, what happens? Okay, now they're all together, but they're like they're lifeless. Like the flesh appeared and they're covered with skin, but they don't have any breath. Right. Do you remember in do you remember the movie Spy Kids? Oh yeah. And in the original Spy Kids when Floop is making the like robot versions of all the kids. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So it's it's the before he puts the little brain piece in. They're yeah. just like these empty shells of things that look like people, right? Yeah. That's that's the thing that I'm getting in. Also, the thumb thumbs in that movie are so horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. But again, that's a again, good movie. Agreed, it's excellent. Okay, so we had random bones. We have organized but not living. And then what happens? And then this this breath comes and enters them, and then they're like animated. They come to life. And they kind of like, they like stand up almost. And they're like this huge sort of conglomerate group of people. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think, I'm thinking of that Spy Kids imagery still too. Of the the moments when they become kind of sentient and all start operating similarly. But can you imagine how stark and startling that moment would be? Of First off, all these bones are moving and sinews and flesh and skin are coming together. But then all of a sudden, this concoction of anatomy is all of a sudden coming to life. And you may be aware of this, Seth, but the the word there for breath is ruach, which is the same Hebrew word that is used uh, and translated often as spirit. It is the active, moving presence of God throughout the Hebrew scriptures. This is the same breath that was breathed into humanity at creation it's the same breath and spirit that led israel through the wilderness and now it is sweeping through this valley and bringing these reconstructed dry bones to life and the parallels here are intended to be offered to israel in exile and so you have these moments of utter chaos disorganization and I can imagine that Israel in exile, there were probably some leaders who were like, we can do this. We can organize ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can make the surprising happen and group back together. And maybe that's what some of this is getting at. But then there's this, this stark statement that life will only come, returning to that fertile land will only come with a movement of God's restoring spirit. And you can imagine... For those hearing this, and this is something that Lapsley highlights as well, how striking this image would be, a use of what Walter Brueggemann would call the prophetic imagination, 
I kind of get the people in exile swept up in this story, being like, what the heck was that about? <laughs> and then, oh, that could be us. When we feel slain, dismembered, torn apart, scattered randomly, God can make a way for new life to come out of this death and despair. And so it feels like this movement from death and despair to what I call reorganized despair. <laughs> like there's the kind of the shell of new life, but it's not actually there. And then once God's spirit is infused, there is new life. There is a new way that goes beyond what we thought possible in the, in the, these connecting points. And certainly some Lenten and Easter images here too, of the body of resurrection all of that, there is a clear theme that God makes new life, makes new ways at death or at dead ends. And that's just something that is such a strong theme here and in scripture. But you already alluded to our theme of this series, this Lenten journey that we're on. And there was something that I thought about that kind of felt parallel here. This idea of there's a way that is chaotic, full of destruction. There's a way where we might try our best that is ultimately just the same practice reorganized. Hmm. And then there may be an alternative. Maybe. Maybe God can show us one. And it honestly has to do with our relationship to the things that we use and more often the things that we throw away. Hmm. So hmm. you gave me a quiz last time. I've got a quiz for you this time. Okay, you did really well. The bar is high. <laughs> it's still multiple choice. Okay. Whew. And only two okay. questions. How okay. much trash do you think the average American person produces daily? Is it 0.4 pounds, 2.4 pounds, or 4.4 pounds? I'm going C, 4.4. That's right. Yeah. It's going to say yes, and then I was like, crap, that was the <laughs> highest one. Yeah, now, like... <laughs> now you know how I felt last week. <laughs> this number is alarming. And it may catch us by surprise, too, because it's like, I take out my trash all the time. Like, I don't produce that much. This also takes into effect the trash that is produced by the processes that we often engage in, the trash that is also produced by the places we shop, by the things that we consume. It adds up really quickly. I mean, thinking about that, again, on average, if we round that down to four pounds in an average year, we're talking more than 1,400 pounds of trash that we produce. Holy cow. Okay. Every 10 years, that's seven tons of trash per person. Oh my gosh. So there's clearly something here that is lending itself to notions of death and despair right a valley of dry bones could be reparalleled as a valley of starbucks cups and wrappers to candy bars and papers that we and boxes that we throw away the things that we use constantly that we ultimately when we take the trash can to the curb rarely if ever we think about again 
And yet, we know, deep down, it has to go somewhere. And it does. It often goes to landfills, often in communities that suffer at the hands of environmental injustice, who had no say over where the landfill went. Sometimes if things are really bad, it affects the natural environment around it, the water supply. Sometimes we just send barges full of trash across the sea to other places that are willing to take it from us. And there's all sorts of research of how much trash and plastic has made its way into our oceans, our bodies of water. We are a consuming people, but our consumption habits lead us to waste so much. We could spend hours just talking about that. But if you're like me, one of the things that I was taught to do was to try and recycle, to take the things that we have and still like do the action of throwing things away, but it's going to go to a different place. These materials are going to be reused. These materials are going to be produced into new products. Uh, so Seth, I have another question for you. This is your last okay. question. You're one for one so far. So okay. you at least got half of them right. How, what percentage of plastic that enters recycling processes is actually recycled? Is it 9%, 29%, or 49%? Okay, I'm going to go B, 29%. Unfortunately, you're wrong. It's probably A. It is. No. 9%, 9% of the plastic bottles, clamshell containers, packages that we throw into the recycling ultimately end up in recycled plastic materials. Now, there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, plastic recycling is not very efficient and part of what that means is that several different outlets for plastic recycling can only take certain amount of certain types of plastic harder plastics tend to be easier to recycle but not all hard plastics plastic bags are almost impossible to recycle but those are really really common and oftentimes, a lot of the contamination, so to speak, of a recycling comes from a lack of knowledge about what can and can go into a recycling plant. Most recycling plants in the U.S. now don't take recycled products in plastic bags. You essentially have to put them in loosely or a paper bag or something else that's recyclable. Now, I will say, recycling aluminum cans, recycling glass bottles, other glass containers, tends to be more effective uh, because those materials are much more easily broken down and turned into new versions of themselves. You know, aluminum's aluminum. It's a metal. It can be melted down and turned into something that's metal. You know, that's pretty straightforward. And similarly with glass. Plastic, however, is a fossil fuel product, and the processes of creating it are not well aligned with the processes of trying to recycle it. Okay. Hmm. So I would argue, Seth, recycling is the gathered bones covered in sinews and flesh. It's framed as the new way. It's framed as the new life. But in reality, it's just reorganized despair. 
it's an effort that makes us feel better because we're putting our things in a green container instead of a plastic trash bag. It's only 9% better, right? Like, like that's still not an effective solution in the same way that these bones that are, that are covered with flesh but don't have any breath in them, like, aren't alive, right? There's been so much. There's so much that's broken with how we consume, with how we use. And part of that has to do with how we've been told that the waste problem in our world, in our country, is a consuming problem, not a production problem. Campaigns around not littering are often produced by companies that produce the most disposable goods same about recycling it becomes a consumer issue it becomes a municipal issue with the availability of recycling because corporations have lobbied so successfully for those programs and for the ability for them to keep producing these goods without providing reasonable alternatives it's a really really difficult situation so the third question, Seth, is not a quiz question, but more, okay. of a, more of a typical kind of question. As it relates to all this, as we're drawing these parallels with the Valley of Dry Bones, thinking about how our efforts to work through or work past the death and despair, what do you think God's ruach, God's breath, God's spirit blowing among our landfills <laughs> and recycling plants. What does God's spirit have for us in terms of a new vision that might lead more towards God's justice than towards our continued lack of stewardship for the resources and the gifts that God's given us? What do you think? Fix it, Seth. Fix it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he just asked me, I think. But I think, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is sort of a response to what you were you were just talking about, the way that this, this problem of waste has been framed as an individual problem and not as one that's, you know, produced and then made exponentially worse by the manufacturers of this stuff. So I guess, like, the first thing that comes to mind for me is to try and hold you know, some of those manufacturers, you know, to a higher standard. And I think some of that is both making fewer products with, you know, plastic packaging and, th- and things like that. Like, you know, why do you have to buy everything and it's in plastic? It's like some things don't need to be in plastic, I think. So I think this that's just part of it. But I also think, you know, making the products that they do make that need plastic, making sure that those can be recycled better than they are now. So maybe at least in our recycling journey, we can improve the 9% take rate, but also, this is my two-pronged approach, but also have fewer things that need to be recycled. And I do think there's, like, there's an individual element to this. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, I know that I produce a lot of trash. Like I look at my neighbors and I'm like, 
you know, I'm like somewhere in the middle. Like, I'm like, okay, some of these people are really efficient. They don't produce a lot of trash. And then some of the people, I'm like, they make a lot of trash every week. But, like, there's something for me, too, right, to try and to try and reduce the amount of things that I'm buying, to be careful about the things that I'm buying. So, like, to buy things that last, I think, can be mm. part of it, too. Right? That's like, a hard instead one, too. Of, I know. I know, isn't it? Instead of buying the thing that, you know, lasts 10 uses, like, what does it look like to buy the one that's more expensive and lasts 100? Um, and sometimes the good thing is that that longer lasting one is like metal as opposed to plastic so maybe one day it can be like recycled i mean i'll just speak for myself one of the worst things for recycling is like technological stuff Mm -hmm. and like they'll i think companies like sort of pretend to take it back like you can send your iphone in and apple will use some of the parts for it but like some of that stuff there's just nothing you can really do with it but i also like that stuff so it's like right yeah <laughs> you're highlighting here though the the notion that there is corporate culpability here but there are also individual things that we can take care of ourselves corporate culpability doesn't excuse individual responsibility but we do have to be mindful of all of that and this is not coming from any particular political agenda this is this is coming from a sense of care that we've been entrusted we are in in the middle of the opportunity to do something different the people of Israel are not just promised to return to the land. They are promised to be planted there by God. And if the earth is as much of a character in our stories as it is in Israel's, I think we would do a lot better to offer it a little bit more respect. So thanks for going on this journey with me. Started with Mario Kart, (laughs) took a swing through some corporate blame and ended here. Can I pray for us? I think we need that right now. Great. Let's pray. God of all creation, you've given us care over what you crafted so carefully. You've given us responsibility for the places where we have orchestrated death, where we've tried to reorganize it and cover it up, and the spaces where you are breathing new life. Help us to approach every space, every place, every person with the same care and compassion that was evidenced in the one whose name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Our next episode will be on Maundy Thursday, or as I thought it was called when I was little, Monday Thursday. But until then, thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it. Do you pick, as your driver, Koopa Troopa? Waluigi. Well, that is the correct answer. But he's not an option in this framework. But that's not one of the options. (laughs) Yes. So so we're in agreement with this? I think so. Pretty straightforward. 
but yeah, also in agreement that, that, that Waluigi would be the ultimate choice, even though he is the most sketchy knees of any <laughs> character I've ever seen in any video game. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs>